Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by ND. ND offers a 100-night trial with free returns so you can test your mattress in the comfort of your home instead of a big-box showroom floor. The return process during the 100-night trial is super simple. If you don't absolutely love it, they will come and pick it up from you and give you a full refund, no questions asked. With free shipping to every Canadian province in a box the size of a hockey bag, Andy is Canada's best-selling mattress, with the highest rate of customer satisfaction and lowest rate of returns. Go to andy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Andy mattress. From Canada Land, this is OPPO. Jen, are you excited? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to throw on some Celine Dion and take a bit of a road trip to La Belle Provence. Wait, is that that the French one? That's the French one. On Monday, October 1st, Quebecers head to the polls in what is, I promise you, one of the most exciting elections in Quebec, maybe in Canada, since that time Quebec almost left Canada the second time. That was a fun time for Canada. We should do that again. (laughs) We'll also be talking about Canada's Governor General and the great scandal and controversy that has erupted around her. And maybe... (laughs) The the word great is doing a lot of work there. Yeah, apparently. Uh, And maybe we'll also wind up talking a little bit about Doug Ford and the fact that he was caught getting his photo taken with Faith Goldie. Awkward. (sighs) So, heat up last night's poutine and crack a gross 50, which is a big bottle of beer for you, Jen, because we're going to dive right in. Just call Call it beer, you pretentious shit. (laughs) The Fundamentals of Canadian Law podcast is a great way to learn the laws that apply to the stories we hear in the news or to understand how the law really affects our daily lives. It's a concise and conversational approach to the law, featuring legal experts from one of Canada's leading law faculties. The podcast is produced by the Queen's Certificate in Law, the only online law certificate offered by a law faculty in Canada. In general, this is exactly the kind of podcast that will help listeners get the legal education they need to understand the issues under OPPO, and probably learn how they can sue us when we eventually defame them. Search for Fundamentals in your podcast app and subscribe to the Fundamentals of Canadian Law. Okay, Jen. You don't know anything about Quebec. Is that about- Oh, I have straight up, I'm going into this uh, segment totally blind and with the candid admission that I know next to nothing about Quebec. I mean, I've been there once or twice, great smoked meat, liked Montreal, 
visited rural Quebec once or twice. But other than that, that is the limit of my knowledge. Well, the good news is that I know a thing or two about Quebec. I, like every 20-something who, you know, wanted cheap tuition, lived in Montreal briefly. And I've been following this election very closely because I am pretty sure it's going to lead to some pretty interesting results. And I think like everything in Quebec... It will probably happen in Canada about five years later. So I think it's pretty important we pay attention to what's going on in this election. And I've done some very uh, loose skimming, and I have a couple of very obvious observations and questions to ask you about Quebec. So we're hoping that this is all going to work out. Normally, I come into these segments with the upper hand against Justin, but now for once, he's totally... He's outnumbered me, so... I mean, that's an optimistic... We're going to see how this goes. Okay, so if you are like Jen and don't know a whole lot about the election in Quebec... Here is a bit of a primer. So obviously there is the Quebec Liberal Party. It has been the dominant party in Quebec pretty much since the last referendum. It's been in government for roughly most of the last two decades now with a brief period of PQ interruption. And that's led by Premier Philippe Couillard, a guy who is kind of impossible to have strong feelings about. He is like the the human embodiment of a textbook. He is exactly what you think of when you think of technocrat. Uh, he was deeply despised by most of Quebec for several years as he brought the province through a pretty painful period of austerity. But now Quebec's in a spot where the budget is balanced. They actually have an incredibly good economic outlook. And the province is booming, honestly. Which from an Albertan perspective, I have to point out, this I did know. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Quebec's doing better than Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> and and all of Alberta felt very horrified about this and a little bit resentful. So, like, I thought that Quebec was doing pretty well. It is. It's doing fantastic GDP growth. Uh, you're not having the same affordability issue that you're seeing in places like Vancouver and Toronto. It's still actually affordable to live there. The economy is not just booming, but diversified. So you're not actually seeing the impacts that many were worried about from things like Trump's uh, softwood lumber tariffs. The economy is chugging right along. Cool. Can we move there? Because that, <laughs> that sounds great. My boyfriend would absolutely love that. But obviously not everyone is super jazzed with the party that's been in power for I think it's fair to say, far too long. So Wait, Marat was, was premier like, what, five minutes ago? How can the liberals have been in power far too long? So I think there's a perception in Quebec that the liberals are getting a little bit long in the tooth. Before Philippe Couillard and before Pauline Marois was Jean Charest, he was in power for nine years, which was a tough nine years, if you recall. There was a, a lot of corruption we found out about, and I think people were quite ready to be done with him. Pauline Marois, who took over next, only stayed in power for two years, and Philip Couillard has been in power since 2014. So for most of the last you know, 15 years, the liberals have been in power, and I think definitely the feeling is that maybe it's time for something else. So it seemed going into this election, the likely contender to take over was the Coalition Avenue Quebec, led by a guy named Francois Legault. This is his third time running, and each time he kind of almost gets there and then fumbles it at the last minute. It's a center-right party. It's the inheritance of a, of a former party called Action Democratique de Quebec, or the ADQ. They're generally right-wing. They used to be kind of soft sovereigntists. They've moved now to being nationalists. They've promised never to have a referendum, which makes a lot of people relatively happy. They talk a fair bit about what is kind of a libertarian e style of Quebec, one where there's still very strict language laws, but where the government puts money back in your pocket. Okay, but wait, isn't this the party that's also racist? Well, and here's the thing. So 
the last couple of elections, the Coalition Avenue Quebec focused more so on corruption and governance issues than on anything like immigration. Francois Legault, it seemed, basically made the calculation that, uh, you know, this immigration thing, maybe if I poke at this, I'll have a shot at government. And it seemed to sort of work. He went into this election saying he wanted to reduce the overall uh, amount of immigration into Quebec, arguing that if they bring in fewer, they can integrate them better. And here's the rub that really got people angry. Initially, Francois Legault said that they were going to apply both a language and a values test to immigrants who moved to Quebec after they've already arrived. If they fail that test, you get deported, which, you know, is kind of a harsh policy. There were some people who were joking, is Francois Legault going to put them in a car and drive them to the Ontario border? It was a pretty wild thing. The Coalition of Your Quebec has since sort of backed off of that and suggested that they didn't actually mean it and that they kind of screwed it up and that it wouldn't be necessarily a deportation, but they haven't really actually answered what they would do instead. So it's a bit of a mess. And I think it's actually hurt their poll numbers a fair bit. We've seen their poll numbers slide back and now it's sort of unclear who's going to win. Now, normally in an election like this, it's the Parti Quebecois who benefits the most. They have usually done a pretty good job of being the alternative. This time around, the PQ are absolutely tanking. Jean-Francois Lisée, the leader of the PQ, just has not connected with anybody in this election. No one's quite sure why they're actually running. Uh, They don't seem to have any sort of coherent messaging, at least not that I've been able to tell. They've done terrible in all the debates. And lo, and this is the most exciting part of the election, this is what I've been building up to, it's basically caused a huge opening for the fourth place party, the far left, sovereigntist, feminist, ecological, kind of communisty, Quebec Solidaire. They don't have a leader. They have two co-spokespeople. Currently, it's Menon Massé and Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois. If elected, Menon Massé would be premier and Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois would be deputy premier. It's a bit of a weird model, but... I'm sorry, do they make do they make decisions by consensus and jazz hands? It seems yeah. like they should be making decisions by consensus and jazz hands. It's a collaborative system. So this is pretty exciting in the sense that everything is up in the air. They've rocketed potentially into third place. The polling data suggests that they're on the uptick and they could stand to win potentially north of 10 seats, which would give them the balance of power and potentially lead to a government that is propped up by probably the farthest left party, you know, north of Mexico and North America. So there's a couple of interesting observations. The the Coalition Avenir Quebec, or CAC, also known as racist. Um, Two observations that I'm going to make completely as as an ignorant outsider to all of this. One is, it seems to me that Bernier's weird anti multicultural rant on Twitter doesn't seem to have come so far out of left field when you look at what's happening in the politics in Quebec. That this sort of um, uh, anti-multiculturalism, anti-diversity, anti-immigrant vibe was very much in the air in his constituency, and he's kind of playing or rolling with that. And also, you know, it seems to me also that there's a real obvious home for someone like Bernier in a party like CAC. The second observation I make is that it's interesting to me that there seems to be a rise of this right-wing identitarian anti-immigrant politics, just as you're seeing separatist politics in the decline. It almost seems like that the passion, the sort of angsty terror that the Quebecois had about losing their identity and their nationalhood that led to separatist politics is now just being funneled into the much more modern kind of alt-right anti-immigration politics. Is is that like a fair observation to make? Sort of. So people, when they think about Quebec politics, at least in the last couple of years, think a lot about the values charter, think a lot about this push to stop women uh, from wearing the hijab in, in the workplace. 
And and certainly that that was a big issue a couple of years ago. Quebec has generally moved off of that. Couillard's government introduced legislation that would basically stop certain uh, bureaucrats from wearing, you know, very obvious uh, head coverings, basically making sure that civil servants couldn't wear a burqa. It was a much more watered down version of what had been proposed previously by previous governments. And there doesn't seem to be much of an appetite to go beyond that. In the French language debate, the third of uh, of the three debates, this came up, and it was actually led to a very interesting exchange between Couillard and Jean-François Lisée uh, and François Legault, where where basically Legault was was saying, "What you you want police officers to wear a turban?" And it was it was, it was exactly this sort of debate that you heard a couple of years ago. Couillard shut him down uh, and basically said, "I'm not going to let mob rule uh, dictate what people can and can't wear in the public square." And that was really the only exchange, you know, big exchange in the entire election about uh, religious symbols. People seem very tired of the debate. They're now punishing leaders who talk about it, I think, too much. And I think this is part of the reason why you've seen Francois Legault's numbers drop, because Quebecers are tired of the debate generally. You know, there's still some support for any policies that would uh, limit sort of religious symbols uh, by public figures. But they don't really want to keep talking about it. And, and this but is... it also seems to me like there's there's also a pretty strict divide between, you know, Anglo speakers in Quebec versus French speakers in Quebec on the issue of identities, nationhood, immigration and xenophobia. Like it seems to me like like Anglos in Quebec who have always kind of been a minority, who have always kind of, I think, been more um, hostile to xenophobic or anti-immigrant sentiment are having a very different reaction to all of this than maybe French speakers. Yeah, that's not really the case, though. I mean, no? that, that generally has been true in this election. It, French speakers seem to be, and it's hard to say exactly what's going to happen because we're a week out from the election and the polling data has been kind of all over the place. But it does seem that people are turned off by Francois Legault's sort of harder tinged rhetoric. There isn't a lot of you know clamoring for a more you know hard uh, xenophobic style leader. People tend to actually be sort of unhappy with it. And this but is if, why I said that, earlier... But if that this, were this... true, then how come uh, CAC is in second place? I mean, the, I mean how, but the other thing is, how is this different? How has Quebec moved on from when René Lévesque blamed the outcome of the 95 referendum on the immigrants? Like, and this is where I'm ignorant. Like, like how is this any different than the anti-immigrant, anti-xenophobic sentiment, the sort of, the sort of, we must protect our culture and our language at all costs. So, you know, I mean, to me, it just seems like the cycles are playing out over and over again, just in slightly different forms. So Quebec absolutely has a fixation on identity and language. There's no doubting that. I mean, you know, Quebec constantly feels like they are under threat by the outside world because the outside world around them is is all Anglophone and doesn't give a shit about both French and sort of the post-Quiet Revolution politics and priorities that the Quebec nation has set for itself. Um, absolutely. I want to play you this clip because I think I actually want you to hear from uh, a couple of these parties. And we'll, we'll go through because I, I think it's important to actually listen to them because I think sometimes people from the rest of the country do come in with a very specific lens in which they see Quebec politics. And it can be kind of hard to break out of it. And luckily, in this debate, we had for one of the first times in many years, an English language all leaders debate, which is something that for a while was quite unthinkable in Quebec. And now all party leaders agreed to it. So that our policy will be that as soon as you arrive, don't go and try to find a job immediately. We will take care of you and your family for the first weeks or months. We'll teach you French, how it works here. Let you say, let you know, we are the only party in the last few years who support a public inquiry on systemic discrimination. None of them was able to do that. And we know that 
systemic discrimination exist here in Quebec. The way we talk about immigration and immigrants uh, is not always positive, let me say it that way. When people say that they are a threat to French language in Quebec and if we continue taking immigrants, our grandchildren will not be speaking French anymore, which is nonsense. Our position is clear. What we say is that we better receive 40,000, have a better integration, don't lose 26%. And the only thing we say, like we have in many European countries, have a test of French and a test of values in the first three years. Three of the parties running in this election are running on, to varying degrees, pretty pro-immigrant policies. The PQ kind of want to reduce uh, immigration levels but want to significantly boost support. Quebec Solidaire wants to just massively increase support for immigrants. And Philip Couillard wants to keep doing what Quebec's been doing. Quebec runs its own immigration system. This is not a weird thing to be debating. Um, yeah, so- it, it, it kind of is, though, because no other province runs its immigration system and no other province gets to say no, we ain't going to take you. Like, that's that's actually, that is weird within a Canadian federal context. I mean, the Canadian government gets to say, no, we ain't going to take you, Tim. Yeah, because the Canadian government is the supreme order of government. But Quebec's the only province that gets to do that. Yeah, but why does Quebec want to have its own immigration system? Because it wants French-speaking immigrants. You know, their concern is more about uh, language and culture than it is about race or or, or sort of extreme anti-immigration policies. Definitely not about money in the ethnic vote, is what you're telling me. It's not. Endy offers a 100-night trial with free returns, so you can test your mattress in the comfort of your home instead of a big box showroom floor or a field. The return process during the 100-night... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com trial is super simple. If you don't absolutely love it, they come pick it up from you and give you a full refund. No questions asked, like, why are you in this field? With free shipping to every Canadian province in a box the size of a hockey bag, Andy is Canada's best-selling mattress with the highest rate of customer satisfaction and the lowest rate of returns. Andy also gives customers the opportunity to touch, feel, and try the mattress. Canadians are falling in love in select showroom partner locations across the country. When mattresses are returned, which doesn't happen often, Andy works with local charities and furniture banks to donate the new and gently used mattresses to Canadians in need. Go to Andy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Andy mattress. Jen. Yo. It's Thunder Round. Woohoo. Boom, boom, boom. Splat, splat, splat. <laughs> Mr. Boom. Oh, Mr. Boom. Have you Brown. ever heard Thunder before? That's not. Hey, according thunder, to my Dr. Seuss book that I read my child every single night, Mr. Brown goes boom, boom, boom. And splat, yeah. splat, splat. And it's very, very hard to make a noise like that. Jen, I'm, I'm tired of telling you this. Dr. Seuss is not an actual doctor. Look. Anyway. That's just, <laughs> I'm not even interested in your alt-left conspiracy theories, Justin. It says doctor right in the title. That's fake uh, news. I'll, all right, Jen. Let's move on to something arguably less important than nursery rhymes. The governor general. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the National Post came out with this fascinating article that followed on rumors that we've been hearing for a couple of weeks that the Governor General, Julie Payette, basically is terrible at her job. And in this article, which was very extensive, thoroughly reported, relied on a lot of anonymous sources, uh, they basically revealed that there were a couple of 
examples of her going a little bit beyond merely bucking the trend. Like there were things like things in there, for example, she really resented having to change her schedule in order to sign a bill into law, which is pretty much her entire job. No, it's not her entire job. Let me read that bit from the post because it's actually, I had a a good laugh at this. I I honestly don't care about any of this, but I did have a good laugh at this. Obviously, Payette's been requested to go uh, sign not just any piece of legislation, the cannabis legalization legislation, which is kind of on a time crunch. The Post reports, Payette called senior officials within the government, sources said, upset over the expectation she rearranged her schedule to accommodate the ceremony and questioning whether she actually had to be there. Could a Supreme Court justice preside instead? No! No! (laughs) What is wrong with you, woman? No! No, of course a Supreme Court justice can't preside. You're the governor, Jen! Only you can do it! This is your job! It's the most important part of your job! Anyway, sorry, I'll stop screaming, but that wasn't the only thing that this Post article revealed. There were other things that, to I think most people, would seem kind of petty, but they're important to note. For example, like, she hadn't attended galas that had been set up for her in her honor. She's been slow to approve the charities that she is going to be working with throughout her tenure. Normally, governors general do a lot of interesting charity work. That's a huge part of their 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 role when they're not signing bills into law, uh, and she hasn't really uh, given us a list of the charities that she's going to continue to support a year into her tenure. That's unusual. Um, And also there's another thing that seems petty, but the more you think about it, isn't. She wore like a a medal honoring her work with NASA to um, a heraldry and honors conference, essentially. And, you know, it really raised a lot of eyebrows because there are specific protocols and even laws in place saying what a governor general can and cannot wear, and a NASA medal is not among them. There was another thing, like she's trying to get more and more involved in the honors process to have more of a say over who is given an Order of Canada. And there's even some sort of tenuous allegation that she's trying to influence government policy on science-related issues. You know, that I think is a bit of a thinner allegation, but if so, I think it's a more clear breach of her role. Why is this important? Now, Justin, you think this isn't important. So let's hear your side of the wrong argument first. <laughs> oh, thank you for that kind introduction, Jen. You're welcome. So the thing about this is I don't care. So, oh, sorry, I can, I, can, I can keep talking. The governor general is a role that does not matter to me. I have been to the governor general's residence. I've met the previous governor general. It's nice. It's nice trappings. Cool. Ultimately, it's a ceremonial role, and I think there are so many more important things we could be worrying about right now than what the governor general's work ethic is. Ultimately, a lot of the things that we want the governor general to do were things shaped by previous governors general, like David Johnson, who you know must have just drank eight cups of coffee a day because was always on the move and always doing things. They don't need to do those things. Those are all just extras. Otherwise, the job is a bit boring. If she doesn't do all of those things that previous governors generals did... Who cares? Because they don't really matter. Because she's a ceremonial role. Maybe we don't even need to have this job anymore. Maybe we can change it to something else. Maybe the Supreme Court justice can just give royal assent to legislation. Maybe that's okay. You can stop now. Here's why (laughs) this does matter. Yes, it is a ceremonial role. It's an annoying, odious, stifling ceremonial role that you and I would both hate with an extraordinary passion. Like, I hate to break it to you, Justin, but this is all we will ever do with our lives. Yell at each other over oh. the internet into oh, microphones. Oh, that's so grim. Because, that is the grimmest there's, thing there's, you've ever there said. There would be literally no hope for someone like us in the Senate 
or as a governor general. Like that is never where I will wind up because I would kill myself. Oh, I'd be a kick-ass senator. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I love to nap. I just love to but nap. Because literally, this woman is pulling a three hundred thousand dollar paycheck to fill a ceremonial role, and she must have known that that was going to be the job when she agreed to take it. And yeah, it's it's a tedious, annoying, wonkish policy or protocol-ridden job. And if you don't want to do it, for the love of God, don't take it. Just don't take it. I would say the only reason why this is really important and why I think it is newsworthy is that from this article, it becomes abundantly clear that the Trudeau government made a bad appointment. They picked someone who was temperamentally poorly suited for a stuffy, uptight job. And before anybody says sexism, I'm sorry, nobody had complaints like this about Michelle Jean or Adrian Clarkson. Like there was nothing, nothing of this nature that came out that is that I, in my memory, has ever come out about a previous governor general. And we've had plenty of women. So, you know, the job is what it is. And you have to know that going in. So either the Trudeau government made a very bad appointment or they really failed to explain what that job was to her when they offered it to her. And I think that that is, it's not a mark against Payette. I think it's actually a mark against Trudeau's government so far. Uh, actually, that's the one thing I'll agree with here. I think the liberal government did something, at least on paper, admirable. They thought, we're going to take people from different walks of life and put them into government jobs that have generally been occupied by kind of long-term civil servants or academics or kind of the same sort of stuffy, usually white, um, you know, upper crust class of people. We're going to diversify that. We're going to appoint uh, a, a doctor to be the head of the Canadian Space Agency. And now the Supreme Court justice is going to be a beaver. Like They, they just wanted to bring in different people. And I actually kind of admire that. Yeah, but they're the doing, problem is they're that doing it for it's easier said than done. And then you end up putting an astronaut as the governor general, which is a very different set of skills because astronauts go to space, not sit around and drink tea with the Monarchist League. And I think that maybe they should have thought through some of those things better and actually prepared the people they were putting in those jobs better so they could succeed instead of failing. Yeah, don't appoint people of diverse backgrounds to high positions and then put them in a position to fail. That is, yeah, that, that is my right. objection. You're doing and more harm than good. You're doing more harm than good. And then the other problem that I would put about all this is that fundamentally, why did they pick Payette? They picked Payette because she represented a vision of what they were trying to represent. It was a PR move. And that's fine. That's what governments do. But what do we see again and again and again? The main criticism about the, the, about the Trudeau government is that it's all um, style over substance. And I think that this story goes to that criticism. You put someone who you thought would look good over someone who you knew could do the job well. Speaking of looking good, Doug Ford. <laughs> what a unit. So because everything is bad now, images emerged from Ford Fest, which I can only imagine is one of the circles of hell, of Doug Ford, who I guess is premier now, meeting and posing for a photo with Faith Goldie, noted crazy person. And white supremacist. Yeah. And and all sorts of things. I mean, her, her rap sheet is getting longer by the day. So I'm sad. This sucks. Okay, we can get into how bad this is and the, everything's bad now. Nazis are back and all that. What I'm bummed out about most now is that now I'm going to have to listen to liberals just whine about this for forever. I'm going to hear, oh, Doug Ford was seen touching a Nazi. And you know what? Like, I'm sad that we're here and I'm mad that this is the current political climate. But it just feels so cheap. And I know everybody's going to focus on this. I just would have been happier if this photo just never happened. So I wouldn't have to hear both sides try to whine about it. Okay, here's I am actually going to kind of disagree with you because I was kind of on that page for a while. And then the more I thought about it, the more it bothered me. And I'll explain why. So 
to set this up a little bit better, you can see in video of this event, Doug Ford is doing a kind of reception line, which if you've been to sort of political parties, the, the prominent person kind of stands and then everybody kind of lines up to shake their hands and meet them. And what appears to me to be going on is that um, he kind of gets ambushed a little bit by Faith Goldie and her minions and gets thrown into a photo op and then they kind of move on and then she's making hay out of this photo op. And on one hand, it's like, yeah, a, a politician can be ambushed by random people in crowds, Nazis, crazy people. This actually does happen quite a lot. And the reason, the way that parties and individuals usually deal with this is that politicians have uh, body men or body women, whatever you want to call it. But they have people who essentially babysit them, whose job it is to make sure they are not within 10 feet of anybody they're not supposed to be, that they're not getting photos taken with people they are not supposed to be getting photos taken with. And what really puzzles me about this you can't tell me for one second that either Doug Ford or his people didn't know who Faith Goldie was. I, I don't believe that for one single goddamn second. And I don't understand why there weren't either people from the party or people attached to the premier in place to take her out of the line and kick her out of this event. You can't tell me that Ford Fest didn't have security. You can't tell me that they didn't have people who got kicked out that night because they weren't supposed to be there. And right. like that's where I increasingly, the more I think about it, the more I'm like weirded out by this because I'm like, either they're body men were so incompetent that they couldn't see this train wreck coming from a mile off, which could be it, or Doug Ford had no problem with her being there. Yeah. And that is creepy to me because let's be clear, Faith Goldie, as far as I'm concerned, is a white supremacist. She is, and this is, you know, her. Yeah. she's made some efforts to water down some of her previous statements and past, but she is what she is. And, you know, at this point, there really shouldn't be anybody in the political class in Ontario who is not aware of that and not aware of how toxic this woman is. And, and how she got within 10 feet of the premier is actually genuinely worth asking a question about. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I actually feel quite bad for, you know, I think this has happened to Stephen Harper. I think it's happened to a bunch of other politicians in Canada. It happens to politicians all the time. Because a lot of the time when a, a neo-Nazi or white supremacist or general nut job gets in that photo, it's some like real cut-rate Nazi. And it, it's hard to pick out every Nazi unless you're carrying around your big black book of Nazis. It can be hard to catch all of them. It should not be hard to catch Faith Goldie. She's running for the mayor of fucking Toronto and you can't turn on YouTube without seeing her fucking face. So... The fact that they didn't catch her is, it's either wild incompetence or kind of, you know, tacit acceptance. Well, I know that, but to add to that point, it, it is a common tactic of neo-Nazis and people of this ilk to try and ambush major politicians and get photo ops in these lines. Like, they do this. It's such a lame tactic. It's just, like, so shitty. It's just, like, it is the political equivalent of, like, every single person I know on LinkedIn. It's just, like, young liberals being like, here's me and the prime minister. It's just, like, I don't give a shit. The fact that you stood next to him and got a selfie doesn't mean anything. No, but this is what, why it is important to note this. Like, People do do this, and they do ambush politicians yeah. of all stripes with these with this particular tactic. But however, as I said, you are completely bloody correct. I mean, it wasn't even just they should have recognized her, dude. She was surrounded by people with Faith Goldie for mayor T-shirts. <laughs> it's true. Like, her name was on you, the her name was on the goddamn T-shirts. Like the, every <laughs> single true. political staffer in Ford Fest should have had a giant red flag flaring above their head, going, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Get her out! Get her out now! Get her out now before she has somebody gets her in a photo with them with." the premier like like what I, I like the idea of like the two security guards in the back going just like huh a lot of faith goldie t-shirts here what do you think it means jim i don't know jim i actually think there are some legitimate questions on this one where there wouldn't necessarily be as legitimate questions in another situation 
And finally, Jen, I want to do a bit of an update on some other politics happening east of the center of the universe in Canada. And that is an election coming up in our timeline tomorrow, but it will already have happened by the time this episode comes out. It's an election in New Brunswick where, interestingly, you're seeing the rise of a weird upstart populisty right-wing party that is campaigning, amongst other things, on removing, potentially, New Brunswick's official bilingual status, which would be a heck of a change. They're called the People's Alliance, and uh, some polling shows that they may do good enough to get them in maybe second or third place. You're also seeing the pretty good showing for the Green Party, who already has one seat in the legislature. And it could be some interesting results. I think there is a trend we should keep our eye on, which is weird upstart parties across the country. And I'm going to be watching that one quite closely. Some other polling data also shows nearby in PEI. The Green Party is currently the most favored party in that province. Uh, The election's a year away and not a month away, as I mistakenly thought for the last couple of weeks. But nevertheless, Canada's tiniest province might soon be a weird green bastion. So I guess that's it for us this week. Uh, we are back in two weeks when hopefully Justin will not talk as much. Well, I wouldn't count on <laughs> it. What you should do is check out the debut of the new season of Commons next Tuesday, now hosted by a friend of mine, Arshi Mann. The show's new format is taking a season-long look at corruption in Canada. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Canada Land Media. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. You should really be sending all your angry tweets and emails to him. Music by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week, and that word is... Eh, it's going to be two words. Systemic racism, because I want to leave you with a clip that is so painfully awkward of the moderators of the Quebec Leaders Debate asking all the leaders whether or not they support an inquiry into systemic racism. Spoiler alert, only one of them does, and the other three had to try really hard not to actually say the word no. We have very little time left. I have one very short question on this topic. I would like a yes or no answer from each one of you. We're going to start in the same order that we did the Mm -hmm. uh, initial questions. Mr. Cuillard, if elected, will you set up an inquiry into systemic racism in Quebec, yes or no? No, because we asked the people. Okay, I didn't, Ms. Masse, I, come on, yes I need or no, to explain that, you... Mitsumi. I cannot just no, say no No, we're just going this. for a yes or no answer. I'm because sorry. Because it's a complex issue. We, you just yes, cannot it is. answer by yes, yes it or is, no. and I agree. Sense. If I understand why... Okay, why... If, if you form a government, yep. will you set up a systemic, uh, an inquiry into systemic racism in Quebec, yes or no? Of Very yes, quickly. Yes. yes. Okay. Mr. Lise, yes or no? We will act swiftly against discrimination, so we don't need another inquiry. Okay. We have seven that, that would be in the last a no, 10 then. years. Monsieur Legault. There's racism in Quebec, but no systematic racism. So that your answer so would no. be no, then. No. Okay, thank you very much. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.